Today we're going to um, talk about foster children and children in Tennessee. And I'd like to ask Terry to introduce Paul. Good morning. I'm Terry New, and uh, I want to introduce you to Paul Van Woodenberg, who is, I think, a great vision for what the church can be doing in the area of foster children and solving the mess that we're in in Tennessee with DCS. But let me ask you first the question, how many of you have participated in the Experiencing God course? Okay, we have a few. I just realized that my life has been divided into about three equal pieces. I graduated from engineering school at the age of 23 and practiced engineering until I was 46. I'm now 69. Back in 1997, there were three major things that happened. One had to do with the church fundraising drive. The second had to do with experiencing God, and the third with the perspectives course. Experiencing God was a big piece of why we went into missions, and at the age of 46, leaving secular employment without a job, having to raise funds, and God did some great things there. Experiencing God is based on the premise of we should find out what God is doing and join him there. So I did what every good Christian could do, experiencing God messed with my life, ruined my life, and so ever since then we've been looking at ruining other people's lives. And Paul was one of those people. We did experiencing God, what, about a year ago at our church. We attend the church at Station Hill, which is the Brentwood campus, Brentwood Baptist campus down in Spring Hill. And every time we do something like this, we're looking for a few good people whose lives we can ruin. And this time it was Paul and his wife, Rebecca. They took the course. They were well on their way to doing something about DCS. If you talk to Paul for more than about two minutes, he'll, he'll tell you how you can be involved in helping solve the DCS problem. He's very one-tracked. And when we went into missions, it was North Africa, but we were also very one-track. So Paul is a lot like me in those ways. I hope that's a good way. But today he's going to explain how we can be involved in solving the foster children problem, both as individuals and as churches. So without further ado, I give you Paul. You know, ch children need to be loved, feel they belong, and know they're safe. And children that don't grow up feeling loved, know they belong, and feel safe, they're going to experience trauma. And that trauma will last for their whole lives. So what we're talking about today is not just taking care of a kid you know, when he's 13 or five or whatever, but he's going to be talking about something that will affect their whole lives. And I think that's why it's important. So Paul, tell us how you got involved in this. Yeah, so um, thanks for having me. And, and yeah, 
as Terry said, experiencing God did a number on, uh, yeah, on us as a family. We were already looking at, hey, what can we do? You know, with my job, I did um, consulting for 28 years. Um, how can I really make a, you know, a difference? Um, so we, we quit the job and ended up you know, unexpectedly at DCS. So our church had a number of families doing stuff in the foster care system. They're fostering kids. And the relationship with DCS was just a total, you know, it's always rough. Nothing goes smooth. We're like, hey, let's go bring a meal to the office um, and just build some relationship with these workers so we can start, you know, making that a little easier, easier to pick up the phone and just do some basic stuff. And, and um, you know, God was, hey, this is an opportunity. You should spend more time here. These people are broken. The system is broken. What are you going to do about it? Um, well, so that was a year ago. So we quit. Well, uh, actually, maybe you could start by telling us a little bit about yourself, okay. where, where you grew up, and how you got here. Because I don't okay. think you grew up in Tennessee. I didn't grow up in Tennessee. So I grew up in the Netherlands, born and raised there. Um, started my consulting career there. And in 2000, they asked me to do a half-year project in, um, in San Diego. I'm like, well, that sounds cool. I can do half a year. Um, met this gal at work and um, you know, started dating and never left. Um, so officially moved to the States in, um, in 2001. We're in San Diego. Um, stayed with the same company. God moved us to Chicago. Uh, we were like, uh-oh, moved to, yeah, from sunny San Diego to Chicago to coldness. But God had a plan. We um, adopted both of our kids in Chicago. And then as soon as those processes were done, um, moved back to San Diego. Spent a couple of years there, and then we just couldn't, yeah, couldn't do it anymore. So we moved here about three and a half years ago. Um, yeah, love every, yeah, every minute of it. It was great too. I was like, we're gonna move to Tennessee. They kept my same salary. He's like, great, no state income tax, and yeah, quitting doesn't help with that, by the way. Yeah, don't get a lot of benefits, but. So you adopted two kids yep. in Chicago. Yep. But then you get involved. Did you get involved with foster children in California too, or? Yeah, so in Chicago, I was on the yeah, the board of an adoption agency, which is really how some of this started to learn more about the space. Um, in California, we did something called Safe Families. They're you know, all over the United States. It's kind of a pre-foster care um, way where parents who need some help temporarily can you know, have you take care of their kids so they can do a rehab program or they can do something you know, to get their life on track. So we did some of that in California. What made it happen so that you developed an interest in foster children and children that didn't have parents? Um, that's a good question because I've, um, I think it, ha yeah, it has to be a God thing because you know, we didn't have any you know, challenges like that in our family. So it's not, you know, a lot of people come involved in this space, you know, get involved because they've seen situations. Um, for us, it really grew, you know, natural. Or, you know, God just been pointing us in this direction and and opening doors, and we've just been following where He's been leading us. What brought you to Spring Hill specifically, as opposed to Alabama? Um, we looked at places where we, you know, our values were more aligned than uh, than California, and we had a couple of, you know. A couple of states we looked at, and Tennessee was, you know, was one of them. And yeah, 
Spring Hill was kind of, yeah, where it naturally flowed out to be, yeah, where we could, yeah, afford it, have a good balance. Yeah, we didn't want to do the city thing. We want to be a little further away. Now, yeah, even in the last three years, Spring Hill pretty much turned into a big city, but um, <laughs> yeah. I, I didn't know that. But I always laugh, though, because people here are like, oh, traffic is so bad. It's like, oh, you should, you know, you should come do some of my commutes. I used to do San Diego, L.A., you know. Wow. Um, when four, I, four hours was normal to work on a regular basis. When I sent out the email on Monday, we said there are 8,500 children in the foster care program in Tennessee. Those children who are not one of Tennessee's 4,000 families have to be housed by the Tennessee Department of Children's Services. In Tennessee, there are 400 kids waiting for adoption right now. What's it like to be a child in one in, in the Tennessee foster program. Yeah, so I think you know the the system is is broken. Um, the workers care, but you know a, a good example is because we're in the office regularly. We came in there one morning, you know, nine o'clock, and there's this 16-year-old who just in the middle of the night was removed from his home. Um, don't. Don't know necessarily the details, but he was literally there, bare feet, no no shirt, no clothes, no nothing, just his jeans. That's all he yeah, he got when he got removed, yeah, in the middle of the night, and he has nothing at that point in time. Doesn't know what's gonna happen. Is in this yeah, relatively little room where there's just the couch and really nothing else. Um, Workers are trying to figure out kind of what's next, right? So what's going on with the situation? What's next? Is there yeah, a home we can place him with so they can spend a lot of time with him? Um, and they're just, they're lost. And that's the, that's the beginning of their journey, right? A lot of cases then, especially when they're teenagers, they might get not placed in a home or they get placed in a home, but they, they bounce back a lot. Um, they have a lot of, you know, trauma they're acting out in a lot of cases you see a lot of sibling sets get broken up broken up when they get placed in different homes where they believe it they disrupt that placement they get back to their you know brother or sister so they're purposely acting out because they feel like then they might be back together um so the secondhand trauma is is you know is tremendous and it lasts for a really long time so if you look at the stats i think the 70 percent of the people in in jail have a foster care background. Seventy percent. Seventy percent. Yeah, I think the it's sixty-five percent of trafficking has a background in the foster care system. So the numbers are just staggering. Are some of these children very young too? Then. Yeah, they're they're literally from birth to yeah. 17, almost, yeah, 18. So all, all the way through um, Tennessee has some rules. If, you know, if they do testing and there's, you know, there are drugs involved, you know, with the birth mom, kids get taken away. So you see them, yeah, as early as literally birth through, um, through teenagers. So you, move, you and Rebecca moved to Spring Hill. How did, and you went to the, course, experiencing God course, and that yeah. changed some things. How, how did you get involved with DCS, Department of Children's Services, and it's in Maury County, it's not up here, right? Right, yeah, we're, and it's, yeah, our church is right on the edge between um, Williamson and, and Maury County. Um, 
Yeah, as I start, said briefly earlier, I, we have a number of families in our church who are doing foster care. Um, so we went and brought that meal over at, at DCS, and, and the workers there was like, hey, we haven't seen the church do much you know, since COVID. We have seen none. Nobody's ever brought us a meal and interacted with us. And we're like, that makes no sense. These workers impact, you know, and generally they have 20 to 25 cases now. They impact a lot of families and a lot of lives, and nobody spends any time with them helping them be more successful in their job. They're overworked, you know, underpaid. Um, a year and a half ago, they still had to have a master's degree, and I made 40 k a year. Like, I don't know who does anything for that. I mean, it's like, that makes no sense, right? So now you only have to have a college degree, and they make about 50. Um, so there's a lot of changes have been made with the new commissioner, but, isn't, isn't but it's there, still I, bad. I think I read somewhere there's a, like 100% turnover every year. Yeah, it's really, I think in, in some of the areas, 70% of the people who are in their first year quit in their first year. And I go to quite a bit of training yeah, so before they're actually starting to do cases, right, it takes a really long time, so it's a pretty big investment, and then they just, you know, they quit. They leave. It's extremely hard. They're all dealing, you know, they're seeing this trauma every single day and all these cases every single day, and they have no, they really don't have a good place to, you know, go with that, you know, with that trauma and the things they're seeing. But now, you mentioned a 16-year-old that you saw mm -hmm. at, the, at the office. Is there another story about some kid that you could give us a feel for what it's like as a child to be in the foster care program, whether you enter it as a two-year-old or a 16-year-old? But what is it? If you enter as a two-year-old, do you spend essentially your whole first 16 years, 18 years in the program? Well, a lot of cases, right, the, the goal of the foster care system in Tennessee is reunification. So... A lot of these kids will go back to their families once they're through, you know, training, programs, whatever, you know, might have been the cause of them being removed. Once those things get resolved, they may go back. But till that's done, they'll be in a foster care system. So most kids, which they enter, they'll be there at least nine months. Um, so if they're lucky, they'll be with one family for that duration. If they're teenagers, they generally won't be. Um, they're struggling a lot more. They have a really hard time placing teenagers. So Davidson County has three houses which are you know, kind of run by DCS and uh, there's 15 to 20 kids there. Yeah. Um, so there's some care houses in, in our region as well. And what you see some of the teenagers who go there, they might be waiting for treatment, right? There's a, Everybody knows there's a big mental health crisis. Well, there's no beds in Tennessee for these kids to go and get the help they need. And a lot of have mental issues. Um, so they're in this house where there has to be two DCS workers yeah, with them at any point in time. They're doing that 724. That's on top of their regular workloads. Um, so those kids are... What, what know, do you mean by on top of their regular workload? They still have their cases and the stuff they do, and they're told they have to take shifts at the care house, so they have to do at least three shifts a month. Um, and that's 724 two workers. So that's a ton of impact on those, you know, on those workers to really sit with those kids. But if you look at it from the kid, that means that every six hours, pretty much, they got two new parents. 
right, with new rules. So some people's like, hey, 16-year-old, they should be in bed by 10 o'clock. Some like, ah, I don't care as long as you get up for school. If they go to school, yeah, different challenge. Um, or you can watch this on TV, and then the next worker said, oh, you can't watch that, right? So there's like different rules constantly. Um, the workers are no longer allowed to make food there because, you know, apparently somebody in legal decided that that's, you know, dangerous, although most of the workers have kids, so I don't know how that works, but they can't do that. So a lot of cases, they bring in food as they come in, right? So they eat, you know, a lot of fast food, just a lot of things which just are not healthy habits, right, for teenagers. I can't imagine being a DCS worker because your involvement is not only with the children but with the families too, isn't it? Yep. Yeah, so they, they work with the families. In a lot of cases, right, they're in a, a really hard place. They're focusing on reunification, so they want to make sure that it's safe for the kids to go home. But there's a ton of pressure of kids in the system, right? So making sure that the kid goes to a safe place and that parents are ready to take care of the kid again, that's, you know, that's a lot of give and take there, right? How, what does the home need to look like? A lot of it is, is related to poverty and neglect, right? How many fixes do you need to do to the home to deem it safe? A lot of the homes I've seen kids going back to, I won't deem safe, but they're meeting their expectations and standards. And we've gotten involved actually with some group of handymen to make some of those fixes to the home so the kids could go back. So tell me about the involvement of your church with DCS in Maury County. What, what, what do you do for them? So we do a lot and it changes every week. <laughs> so we're constantly doing new things as we learn new things. So we started off with running their supply closet. So they have, when kids come into care, and the boy I told earlier, they used to have a bunch of donated clothes kind of sitting in trash bags in the corner, and they would sort through it and see if they can find a shirt for, for a kid. We're like, that's just crazy. So what we did with volunteers, and we're running that now full-time, is we have a supply closet in the DCS office so when kids come into care, we're working with Tennessee Alliance for Kids who are doing backpacks for kids when they come into care. So they get a backpack with a bunch of items they need. And then they can go shopping in the supply closet, which has a bunch of you know, really nice secondhand stuff and a whole bunch of new stuff, um, which is donated by churches. We tell people, hey, instead of going to Goodwill, yeah, if it's in good shape, we'd love to take it. And, and um, so kids can get, you know, a couple of outfits there and get hygiene products and all that, you know, the right shampoos and, you know, all that stuff to at least, you know, have something, you know, back of their own. A lot of cases, they come out of a meth home. They literally burn all their stuff, right? So the, the stuffed animals, all that stuff, if they're able to take it, it's all gone. They got to start really with nothing. Um, so that's how we started to build that relationship. And we've taken things from, you know, from there. So now we, we regularly have people volunteer to sit in the care houses with those kids, which is a great opportunity to help with some schoolwork. You know, my wife had done a couple of shifts where she's, you know, cooked a meal. Because apparently when I volunteer, I can cook a meal, but the worker can. So she goes there, cooks a meal with them, but teaches them some life skills around making food. They're 16, 17, a lot of cases. They have no life skills, right? So we're, you know, helping with some of those things. We now do a mentor program 
for kids who are in a residential, they call it residential, but it's not. They're in a, you know, generally mental health facility. They're, you know, they're taking care. Some of these kids have absolutely nobody to talk to. So they call their social worker um, who has no time, who in a lot of cases are, you know, are women, which, you know, nothing wrong with that, but there's no like a lot of guys working in the space. So a 16-year-old has nobody to call. They finally allowed us now to have mentors who can actually interact with those kids. And we've seen this one guy who said, hey, I can do that because I can drive through the office and do stuff and sit with kids. I have no time for that. He, yeah, he's like, okay, I can be a mentor because I can do that remote. Or this kid is in a facility and a lot of them are not even in the state, but this, this boy is 16, he's in a facility past Knoxville. And they interacted, they did a Zoom call and they're supervised. After the second Zoom call, at the end, the boy's like, hey, we have family day coming up. Um, can he be on the list? Um, and it's like, that's after two hours, right? So the guy who said he couldn't drive anywhere, his heart was so broken that he drove you know, past Knoxville, right, for family day to spend an hour with this, yeah, with this boy who is absolutely nobody. So when he gets done and comes back to, yeah, to the county where he's from, now he at least has somebody who can reach out to, right, and build that connection. So being a mentor to some of these kids is such a unique opportunity to build relationships. Um, and then the other thing we've been doing is, yeah, probably making the biggest impact now for social workers. As they're trying to get these kids back, a lot of cases they're dealing with, hey, they need, they need beds to get yeah, back. Beds is a massive issue. Don't, yeah blows my mind, but there's a lot of kids sleeping on the floor. So we are working with the social workers to help them get some of the items those families may need to get the kids back um, and source them through a technology platform we became implementation partners of. So social workers can log needs on this tool, which then sends those needs out to local churches who said, hey, we're interested in this. I want to see those needs. So people in the church can see the needs and say, hey, I can, I can, I have a bed I can get rid of, or I can just write a check to do that. Now, is this something that Connect South Central Tennessee does? Yep. Okay. Yep. Now, you started through the church, through your church. Yep. What is Connect South Central Tennessee, and how did that get started? Okay. So... As we were doing and, and in the office at DCS all the time, we found more and more challenges to connect all these needs, right? So I need a bed and somebody's like, cool, I can, yeah, I can do that. Here's a hundred bucks. Where do I, yeah, what I what do I do? Um, so we kind of got stuck from a yeah, how do you track all these, yeah, finance transactions and the stuff we're doing? So it's like, let's create a 501c3 to, you know put all this stuff in so we can track stuff a lot more easy um, and make sure that we're focusing on the region, which DCS called South Central, which is headquartered in Murray County. So that's where the, the leadership is in that office. But it's 14 counties from, you know, Perry and Wayne on one side, yeah, all the way through Grundy, kind of on the other side. So it's 14 counties all, you know, ran out of a Murray County office. So we've been recruiting churches in each of these counties to jump, you know, 
on board and help and focus on their local DCS office and do similar things as we've been doing to help them out. Does each county have its own DCS office? Out of those 14 counties, there's nine offices, so it's, it depends a little bit on their, their size. So a couple of the counties are combined, so there's nine actual locations. And then a number of other churches, in addition to yours, has got, have gotten involved? Yep. Yeah, the best, the best story is um, First Baptist in Pulaski, so that's Giles County. As we were driving to the Giles office to go take a look, they said, hey, we have a bunch of stuff. We, yeah, we, we need to get done. Would you guys come by? And we're like, sure. So as we're driving, they were like, hey, let's look on Google and see if we can find some big churches in the area and stop by at the same time. So we're like, eh, how about this one? Looks pretty big, you know. So we literally call, and the guy answered. We're like, oh, that's interesting. So as we visited the office, we literally met with him and this was the very first time we yeah we had done that um and he's like wow that's i had no clue just like yeah there's an office a, a mile from here he's like oh what kind of stuff can i do he's like well the best thing to do first is just bring a meal there's probably 15 workers in the office bring them a meal sit down with them and just get to know them um and they had a, a mess with their you know supplies and stuff is and do a work day and do some stuff in their office to help them get organized and clean up. It's like, ah, oh, we can do that. Well, as they were in the office, their hearts got broken. Um, so they now launched six different ministry teams in the foster care space. And they're opening a big supply closet with three other churches right down the street from, you know, from DCS to serve their local community. Um, they're yeah, you know, they're all in, uh, and it's really cool to see. So their VBS literally raised six thousand dollars last week to stock their supply closet, which is opening July twenty second. Oh, so God cool. is changing that community to the point where people now hearing it. The mayor is going to be at the opening because he heard about it. They want to get involved, and they want they want the church back in the building to help them solve this. They're at the point where we we can't do it ourselves anymore. This is if you're if you're interested, it's southcentraltennessee.org. It's csctennessee.com, and yeah, you know, I got com. some yeah you know, links if you want. I can give you a little flyer um, to point you to the website, which is a lot of the stuff we've been yeah you know, we've been doing. Um, so one of the things I spend a lot of time now is is sharing with churches on what we've been doing and how to get involved. Um, all the way from Davidson down, but we're really focused on South Central, but there's a number of churches in the area here we've been getting involved as well. So can you do the same sort of, can a church in Williamson or Davidson County also get involved with the DCS? Yep, definitely. And, and Care Portal is the, yeah, it's, and it's the technology tool I briefly mentioned earlier, which is a really easy way for any church to get involved. And, and one of the cool stories there, we had a home in Hickman County where a 25-year-old got the call and say, your older sister's teenage kids are being removed. Do you want to take them or they go in the foster care system? So they're calling that a kinship placement. They're trying to place kids with family first. Um, and she said, yeah, I'll do that. Uh, I'm going to take my teenage kids, which is a brave decision already right so dcs came to her trailer home in in hickman and said cool in order to do that here's the the fixes you need to make to your place 
for us to deem it safe. Um, and she's like, it's, it's a lot. I, I can't do that. So we had a group of handymen from a church in Franklin checked out the house and said, hey, this is about $500 worth of work. We're retired, guys. We can afford it, but we can do the work. So we'll do the work. Can you find funding? I'm like, so we put that on, on Care Portal, which is the technology tool. So they put the need out there, which it sends to the local churches. There's a church in Brentwood just like, we can write checks. You know, so somebody in the church there wrote a check for $500 like within half hour. Another church picked up the materials, and then you know, these group of handymen spent a couple hours fixing her home. And these, you know, these kids got placed with, you know, with, the, you know, with family which is a much better long-term you know, solution, right? So it's churches coming together using the gifts that church has. Some have handyman, some have the financial means to really help you know, make a difference in, you know, in the system. Because if you think about it, there's, as you mentioned earlier, 8,500 kids in the foster care system in Tennessee, there's 7,300 churches. If the church just does its job there is no foster care issue. We don't need to solve the system. It's broken beyond belief, and it drives me crazy. So I'm a process IT guy is what I did for, yeah, for work. So bad processes drive me crazy, and if stuff can get automated, it drives me crazy. So I'm going insane in that building. There's so many rules, so many policies, really making their life impossible. Um, but if, if the church gets involved and does a job, we don't need to solve the system because the system is going to shrink so much that we don't need to solve some of these issues. So we're, support, we're supporting the actual DCS workers in addition to supporting the kids. I'm pretty excited that you have a relationship not just with the DCS workers, but with the children in the program itself with the mentoring. Yeah, so it's it's really it's really cool. It's both ways. It's yeah, we're sitting with those kids in in care houses, um, trying to help those workers be more successful in in their job. And and there's lots of really easy ways to you know help them. One of the things we did from our church is you know writing notes of encouragement to the workers. Hmm. Super easy. Which church yeah you know, can do? So we tell churches. You want to do something? Bring a meal to the DCS office and go have a meal with them. It's 25 people. If you do that once a year, you're making a difference. So we have, you know, we're trying to get for all of these offices, 12 churches, right? So one meal a month to just come in and sit down with them and say, hey, the church cares. Bring some notes of encouragement. And God does amazing things with notes of encouragement, even if they're addressed to, like, social worker, right? So we came in, and I'm literally just handing them out to you know, workers in the hallway, this lady comes back half hour later in tears and said, I was at the hospital last night with a newborn baby uh, or three-month-old, some, you know, itty-bitty baby who has 20 broken bones, sat there all night, stayed in the hospital all night, which she didn't have to, but she couldn't let, you know, leave this itty-bitty baby, right? Um, so she was a rack, and yeah, she got one of those notes of encouragement addressed to random social work because God knows, right? So she got that note, and that's just what she needed to get through the day. So if you now look in the Murray County office, there is notes with Bible verses all over the cubicles because we keep writing those notes, and they pin them up. It's God is doing some really 
crazy stuff in some of these offices, and it's really cool. That's cool. Do you ever get any pushback from being a church involved with a state organization? Um, initially, we did, um, and they told us, like, hey, you can't just, you know, come, you know, throwing, you know, slapping the Bible around, and, you know, it's like, well, I'm here to just, you know, love on you guys, and I'm not here. So, like, I have not started a conversation about, you know, about Christ, but I'm asked a lot, and mm. more and more over time, because I don't need to do that. If I love on people, they're going to ask me, why are we doing this? Yeah. Right? This makes no sense. The kids ask all the time. So when we sit at a care house with those kids and take a shift, this is that normally they used to two DCS workers, right, every six hours. So if you're there, the first thing they ask, do you get paid for this? Like, no. It's like, then why you're here? Right? It's like, just because I care. But like, why do you care about me? Just because I do. And I go play basketball with them. You get lots of opportunities to share without having to share, right, and push. They'll, they'll ask, so we're, we're trying to find that balance as they bring stuff up. Um, they, they did the same. The mentor program, you can't just on those calls go, you know, try to convert them. It's like, no, I just want to build a relationship and talk to them, right? Um, God, will do, God will do the rest. Mm -hmm. so, and we've seen now social workers starting to come to, you know, to church because they want to know, like, what's going on with this church? We did a big Christmas thing for them. They hadn't had a Christmas party in as long as they could remember. So we did a Christmas, you know, hmm. get together for them. Um, and it was amazing. So we had a line of high school kids with signs cheering outside of the building. So when they were going to come in, they kind of had a cheer line. Well, they were lingering in the parking lot. It's like, that's weird. Um, and then they finally, you know, after a while, when they had a bunch of them, they finally came in. And we asked them, it's like, what? What was going on, right, two weeks later? Like, we were afraid to go in because we thought somebody heard that you guys were doing a party for us and that there were protesters, and they were afraid to go in. Hmm. They don't want to share they work for DCS because their reputation is so bad, they're not allowed to defend themselves or say anything. The rules they have around it are crazy. Um, so when something bad happens, they can't talk about it. And as long as there's a lawsuit, they can't talk about it. So they can't defend themselves at all on what they do. And like every job, there's a bunch of them who probably shouldn't be working there. But that happens everywhere. Most of them, though, care about these kids with so much passion. They do anything. Yeah, they make barely any money. Kids need something. They buy stuff out of their own pocket all the time. Um, and we're trying to change that and have the church come alongside it's like just let me know and and i don't have it but i'll go try and find it yeah. um and there's nothing better when the worker is like hey i have a crazy thing because it was always little things right it's like i have a crazy thing this this mom has eight kids um she her kids were in the system she got them back She's on the watch list again because the kids are wearing you know, dirty clothes to school and something is off. Her washer and dryer is broken with eight kids. She can't afford the laundry mats, right? It's like, do you guys have a washer and dryer? I'm like, I have no washer and dryer. Or I'm, I can't do that. But it's like, but I can pray about it. There's nothing better than two days later. It's like, hey, um, I reached out to some churches and somebody just redid their laundry room and they have a washer and dryer. And they're giving a washer and dryer to this, yeah, to this mom. And the workers are like, 
don't know what to do with that. And it's really cool. Yeah. And I don't have it either, so I don't care. It's great to say, I'm going to pray about it. Hey, I got it, because I don't work, so I have nothing to... <laughs> I want to just take a few minutes. If anybody have any questions for Terry, yeah. Are there no foster parents you have in, in uh, Tennessee? No. Are there enough foster parents in Tennessee? No, they're way short. So I think we we see a lot, right? So there's a massive need in foster parents. Um, the biggest need, though, is heart. The biggest need is for teenagers and sibling sets. Um, the good thing is, and, and I think it's a, a space which is forgotten, there's lots of nonprofits go into church and say, we need more foster families, we need more foster families, and the families who do it, a lot of cases have little kids of them are their own. Might not always be a good fit for these teenagers who at 13, 14, 15 have lived through more trauma and more stuff than most of us have, you know, for me in my 50 years. Um, but people who are brand new empty nesters who might be able to do a 16-year-old for two or three years, that is a really unique, I think, opportunity to say, hey, I, I got two or three more years to give. My kids just left. I raised teenagers before, so at least I have some feeling on what it's like. Um, I think that's a very unique space. But teenagers is a big, big challenge right now. Um, and these kids are, these kids are hurting. If you have other questions, we're after a, Wes, if you could just pray for us. If you have other questions, come on up and ask Terry. He's willing to be here as long as you want. Yep. I, I didn't ask you about that, but. Yeah. <laughs> First of all, I want to thank um, Terry for introducing us to Paul. And Paul, I want to thank you for being here this morning. Um, we will have a quick prayer, but a, a quick story first. Uh, I grew up on a dairy farm in Lancaster, Lancaster County, Pennsylvania. And sometime during that process, as we had seven kids in our family, and our family was approached by the foster care system of Lancaster County to take foster kids. And we wound up uh, with five or six foster kids over the years. Uh, I want to tell you a brief story about Dennis Hertz, who came to us when he was 15 years old. Father was alcoholic. The kid had every kind of problem that you could possibly have. We always made sure when we took a foster kid that the kids were younger than our oldest kids, so there was, there was a, a balance in the family system. He came to us at 15 years old, and we would find him at the end of the summer, down in the cellar, counting the canning good jars to make sure there was going to be enough food for winter. And that's when we realized how hungry he had been as a kid and how neglected. Um, he, he wound up staying with us till he was 18, uh, uh, volunteered for the Navy, went to the Navy, um, was drinking himself to death, came back, stayed with my parents for a while, wound up in the, in the jail, the Lancaster County Jail, and then sometime around 1978 moved to Tennessee, followed me here. Um, I, I was with him a few times and he left for Florida and lost contact with him. And about five or six years later, uh, I get a call from his wife, and he, and he had gotten married, and he and his wife had moved back to Tennessee. He was probably, it, it might have been a little bit, I think he was probably now in his uh, late 30s, 
And she said, or maybe early 40s, and she said, Wes, Dennis is in the hospital at Memorial Hospital in Nashville and wants to see you. I, and he said, she said, he's, he's, he's slipping in and out of a coma. I got there, and he was non-responsive, couldn't talk to me. I sat with him for a couple days, and I, I called mom and dad, and they said, can you please call when you get to the hospital and put the phone up to his ear? And they, they, they once again reaffirmed for Dennis how much they loved him, and he can't talk, and is almost dead. And I see a tear running down his face. I was asked to preach his funeral sermon, which I did. Um, this is the kind of life work that matters. And this, this, this morning, what you're talking about, and when we met with you here to talk about coming here, means so much to me. Um, and, and there's things that each one of us can do. And I would ask each one of you to think about uh, what in the world Holy Spirit, what do you want me to do? Um, so thank you again for being here. Father, we thank you for this morning. Thank you for these brothers. Thank you for these opportunities that we have in front of us to do your will, to be the hands and feet of Jesus. Lord, you said, when, when, when did we do this? We would ask you. When, when you took care of the poor, when you visited those in prison, when you took care of the sick, when you, when you helped the children. And so we, we pray that we would be the instruments to offer this cup of cold water in your name and, and more than a cup of cold water, but you said, Lord, that if we even offer that much, it will be recognized by your Father in heaven. Thank you for this morning. Thank you for what you do for us day by day. And we ask you, Father, to take us beyond our complacency into the vibrancy of the work of the Holy Spirit in the kingdom of God here on earth. In your holy name we pray and we thank you. Amen. Peace, brothers.